chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 45 through 48. Luke 19, verses 45 through 48. This is what the word of the Lord says today. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words." God, I ask that you would just one more time anoint this word that you have laid on my heart to be received and to be changing for us all. God, let us be different. Let us grow in your word today, and in your name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated today. What we have here is a, uh, a pretty popular scripture, and it's one uh, that we see a lot during Easter time, and it's, it's ter- towards that part of the story of Jesus as he's entering to Jerusalem. He, he, he goes into this temple, and he is just flipping tables. He, one, one account of, in the gospel says he gets a whip, and he starts whipping and casting everything out and clearing everything out of there because it's just a disaster and how things are happening in the temple of the Lord and today I want us to talk about this because I believe that as we are in this new year that we need to start it out with this idea of cleansing the temple. A clean slate, a fresh start for us all. And now I don't really have like a, a word for the year or a phrase for the year. You've probably heard other pastors and churches say there's more in 24, or, there's an open door for 24 and, and they get all these catchy things that rhyme and put it on t-shirts and everything. And if that's them, that's fine. They can do that. But that's just not who I am. Because the reality of it is, is nothing is going to change and nothing like that is going to happen unless we change and we do something different. You can have a catchy phrase and a catchy slogan. You can market the word of the Lord however you want, but you can't market it enough to replace living it out in your life. Just saying it over and over doesn't make it happen until we actually do something and apply it to our life. And so if we're going to start out the year with anything, if you were looking for a word for the year, uh, I don't have any catchy phrase for you, but what we do need to start with is I believe a new year is a new season, and it's best if we started out with a clean slate. And so Jesus is coming into this temple, and, and he's making a lot of observations. And, and it's quite honestly a disgrace of what he finds going on in this. I mean, they're selling sacrifices to the people. Uh, so the passersby, people traveling through, have an animal to sacrifice. And they've got the dove in cages. They've got animals tied up. And, and they've turned what is supposed to be holy and sacred into a functioning business that they can seek to profit themselves off of it. And it's not even that they're just trying to be convenient to the people, which that's a whole other thing, is that worship is not meant to be the most convenient thing. It's, it's a sacrifice of praise. 
and I'm not, I'm not ready to go down that trail yet this morning, but what I do want us to start with understanding is that as he walked in here, he sees that happening. They, they've, they've taken what was supposed to be holy and sacred, what is supposed to be a sacrifice of play, praise, and they've turned it into this convenient one-stop shop where people could just come in, make their sacrifice, and leave, and, and kind of punch their religious card and, and move on with life. In fact, Jesus actually, when he comes in and he makes the statement, uh, you have made it in a den of robbers. He's actually referencing the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah in, in Jeremiah chapter 7 called out similar behavior with that exact phrase. And the Lord spoke through Jeremiah and said, you've turned this, this, this whole temple, this whole worship experience, in, and, and you've made it to where you're exploiting God's people. You're taking advantage of them. And, and even so, these people are coming in, and it's not even real true worship anymore. They're just coming in to make their sacrifice, but the rest of their life, they're still living in sin and in bondage, and they're not really experiencing uh, the relationship with God that they should. And Jeremiah calls them out on this. And Jesus is seeing similar behavior in the temple of this time. And I believe that if he saw it back then in Jeremiah and it's seen again in, in, in the New Testament, it wouldn't shock me uh, if he were to walk into the capital C church today in, 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 in many buildings across this country and others as well and have these same thoughts. We may not be selling animals for sacrifice, but we've done everything that we can to make the sacrifice of worship to be as convenient as possible. And there is a certain level of convenience that I believe is, is, is perfectly fine, but when we have simplified and we have dumbed it down to such a small level and, and we have made it into a, how many people can we get in and through the doors in, in a day and how many services can we facilitate in a day. And, and, and I pray that someday we have to have multiple services, but I don't want it to be in a, in a way that we have to be in such a rush and in such a hurry that we make it so convenient and so quick and efficient that we miss out on really experiencing the glory of God in a service. And this is really what has happened at this time. It's all about how quickly can we get people in and let them get their sacrifices and move on to the next person so that way we can just keep the, the money flowing in and we can keep selling and we can keep ripping God's people off. And, and Jesus sees all this and he's like, this is such a disgrace. You have cheapened what what is supposed to be holy. You have taken what is supposed to be holy and you've brought it down to a level of just business. And, and you've taken away the, the true power that comes with worship. You've taken away the, the real experience of what is supposed to happen in the temple of God. And, and we've made it just this this cut and dry, uh, three songs, three fast songs, two slow songs, a message, and, and a little bit of prayer at the end. And, and, and I know we have a little bit of an order to our service, but I've said before, if God wants to interrupt that, he's more than welcome to, and he has interrupted that before, and we do not stop him when he wants to. But I believe God is a God of order, but I think you can order things and organize things and strategize things to death. You should have a plan because the Bible teaches us that God is a God of order, that there should be organization and structure to things. But I believe that if you have so much structure that there's no room for God to move, there's no room for a real move of God, then you have a real problem. 
And what we see here in this scripture is, is that very thing. They've just turned it into this, this machine rather than a place of worship. And Jesus calls them a den of robbers. The other thing we need to understand about a den of robbers is, is robbers are not people who just fall into these things. They are people that plan and they, and they stew and they watch and they, they organize themselves in such a way that their motivation is all about their own personal gain. So when he calls them a den of robbers, he's not just saying, oh, you're, you're accidentally doing this. He's saying, no, you, you are intentionally doing this. You have intentionally taken what, what was holy and sacred unto God and turned it into something for your own gain. Listen, church is not a place for us to come and seek our own fortune and our own gain. I hope you find what you need when you come in here, but there's a big difference between getting what you need from the Lord and taking what the Lord has and trying to turn it around for your own personal gain. There's a huge difference. And he, he's calling these people out. He's saying, you have taken this and you have made it all about you. You have, you have designed this in such a way Listen, there are so many celebrity pastors under fire right now. They have been caught in things. I, I really believe that it is of the Lord that they are being exposed. I pray that they repent and get things back on track because they have great opportunity for real ministry. But they're being exposed left and right every day. And it's, I believe it's of the Lord trying to separate. It's like he's cleansing his temple once again, saying you've turned this into a den of robbers where you have just taken what was supposed to be holy and probably at one time was, but because the stage got bigger, so did your head. And you got greedy. And I can't say that's true about every one of them because I know there are some very sincere pastors who have very large churches and they are serving the Lord faithfully, but there are plenty of others that have fallen into this trap. And it has been so heavy on my heart that we do not allow a church to look this way. That when we come into the house of God, we don't come in here seeking our own personal gain. See, coming to church isn't about us. When we come into this house, it's not, I'm not coming here for me. At least not directly. I'm coming here to worship God. To give him the praise that he is due. When we come here seeking our own selfish gain, we come into these doors with the wrong motivation. When we come in here hoping to hear our favorite songs, and, and there's nothing wrong with having a favorite song, but it becomes wrong when you worship the song more than you worship the one it's about. And we have seen that trap catch so many people. It doesn't matter if you like the song or not. The song isn't for you. It's for him. And you see, these, these den of robbers are doing more than just robbing the people of their money for the sacrifices. They're robbing God of the praise that he is due. 
because of what they're doing in the temple, selling these sacrifices, because they have made it so convenient, because they've made it so easy, because they've put a price tag on the worship. They, they have taken it and they have devalued it in such a way that God is not receiving the real true worship that he, is, that he deserves. And so the problem is probably even worse than robbing the people when you rob God. It is so much worse. And so Jesus comes in and he is so indignant about this. He is so upset about this that, that he comes in here and he starts whipping and, and flipping tables and freeing the animals and saying, this is not how it is supposed to be. The Bible actually tells us in, in John's account of, of this across the Gospels, uh, John tells us in uh, chapter 2, verse 17, uh, that the disciples, when all this was happening, were reminded of the prophecy, zeal for your house will consume me. You can look it up on your own. They, they saw this play out, that the prophecy about Jesus, that the zeal for God's house would consume him, came to life. And if Jesus is that, that passionate about how the temple back then was run, I, I don't believe that that passion has died off any today. He has a great zeal for his house. He has great passion for his house and how we worship and how we do things and how we operate. And, 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 he, and he is so concerned about that that he went in and he cleansed it. He kicked everyone out. He flipped over tables, freed the animals, was cracking a whip to, to clear it all out because he said that enough is enough. This cannot operate like this. This is a house of prayer. This is a house where we come in and we seek the Lord and we seek him with all of our heart with all of our mind and with all of our strength, where we can grow in our faith. He is so passionate about this. This is not an issue for us to take lightly. It's not. We should have zeal for how we come into this house. If he is that passionate about how the house is run, about what happens inside the house, then we should be just as passionate to make sure that we are doing the right things when we come in here. Yep. Can I take this a step further today and submit to you that the Bible tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't think this just applies to a physical location with four walls and a roof. I believe that this is applied to us in our daily lives. If we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, us as individuals, then Jesus is just as passionate about how we live our lives and how we operate on a daily basis as he is passionate about how we worship on a Sunday morning here in these walls. It got really quiet. See, it's easy for us to talk about a physical location and, and put all the responsibility on something else, but when all of a sudden we got to take some responsibility for ourselves, it gets a little heavy. But this zeal does not stop with just the church and, and within this physical location because the Bible is very clear that we are the church. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so how we operate in our individual lives 
and within our families, in our homes, in our jobs, and, and, our, and wherever you find yourself, in the grocery store, wherever it is, is just as important as how we operate inside of this church. And sometimes we need a good cleansing. See, we look at the cleansing of the temple as like this really rough, harsh thing, but it's not. It's really more of an act of love than anything. He loves his church. He loves his temple so much that he can't stand to see it be in such disarray. He's not destroying it. He's bringing order to it. We look, we, we look at like God's correction as like this destructive thing, but really he's, not, he, he's breaking some things down, but he's breaking down the wrong things so that the right things can stand. He's, he's exposing those materials that are not of him, that are not of God, so that way the ones that are of God can remain. And it's so important for us to allow him to do this process. It's time for us to allow him to cleanse the temple. As we look across the Gospels and the different accounts of, of this story, of the cleansing of the temple, we, we see different highlighted things. Each gospel is so interesting as it highlights different parts of the story of Jesus on this earth. There's emphasis, different emphasis throughout the different gospels that Matthew might highlight something more than Luke does and, and vice versa. And, and so throughout this, when we, when we look at across the board here, we can see a collection of of things that happened that Jesus protected and prioritized in the temple. These are the things that he honored and said, this is the way it should be. The first one being right here in Luke, where he says, my house shall be a, called a house of prayer. The first thing Jesus wants the house and the temple to prioritize is prayer. Prayer isn't just us coming to God with a list of demands. Prayer is a communication line, a conversation between us and him where we can share our heart and he shares his back with us, that we can know his will, that we can hear his heartbeat, that we can know what he wants us to do and where we should go and how we should live. Prayer is a powerful thing and it should be at the forefront of the list of priorities for his temple. That's why we're going to open up this church on Wednesday nights. Because prayer has got to be a priority in the house of God. Prayer is really where you can be transformed. They used to have an acronym in the old church. Where they say, you got to push. Pray until something happens. Anybody ever heard that before? I, I think we have lost that zeal in prayer. The one person who has not lost his zeal for his desire for his people to pray is Jesus. Prayer is such an important, it is, it is the, for whatever reason, it is the hardest part of faith because we struggle to focus. We have such short attention spans. If you try to pray early in the morning, you're tired and you might fall back asleep. If you try to pray at night, same problem. You're tired and you fall asleep. If you try to pray in the middle of the day, the phone rings, the baby cries, all kinds of stuff happens. It's really hard to do. For whatever reason, it is the most attacked of the enemy, in my opinion. There's always a distraction, always something going on. But prayer is so important, and the, the temple, us and this church, cannot function without prayer. We cannot function without it. 
Jesus protected it when he said, this house shall be a house of prayer, a house of relationship and communication with God. The second thing he protected was worship. In Matthew's account in chapter 21, verses 15 through 16, it says, But when the chief priests and the scribes excuse me, saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, you have never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise. That's powerful. First, there's an emphasis on children. And I'm not going to dive into that too much today. But the worship in this sentence, in this, in this section of Scripture here, was greatly protected. They were indignant about the worship that was happening in the temple. And Jesus said, no, this is the way it's supposed to be. He stopped them and corrected them. See, our worship is so powerful. Worship is nothing more than just giving God the praise he deserves. And it's funny to me that we can come into church, and I've been guilty of this. You know, you've had a long week, you're tired, you, you don't feel the greatest, you drug yourself here, and you, you regret dra- dragging yourself over here, and, and, and then we stand with our hands in our pockets, and we're like, oh, is this song over yet? I don't really know this one. I'm not going to sing this one. It's just, you know, the words are on the screen. I like the old hymnals better. You know what? I like the hymnals too, but at one point in time, you had to learn those too. You weren't just born knowing the hymns. You learned them from somewhere. And I, I love the old stuff. I love some of the new stuff. Some of the new stuff just needs to be thrown in the trash, in my opinion, because it's so unbiblical. And then there's some of the old stuff that I'm like, what are you even saying? And, and there's, there's just so many different things. But the reality of it is whether you know it or you don't, whether you like it or you don't, if you don't like it and you don't know it, use your own heart and your own creativity. And in that moment, say, Lord, I don't know this song, but I'm just going to sit here and tell you that I love you for the next five minutes until they move on to something I do know. It's that simple. Worship comes from your heart, not a piano, not an iPad, not a screen, not, not a, a, a speaker system. Worship comes from here. Jesus said the hour is coming and is now here. For my people will worship me in spirit and in truth. Nowhere in that does it specify that it has to be in a hymn or in a new song. It's not about the song. It's about the spirit and it's about the truth. And if we would just... If we would just stop worrying about those things and worrying about our circumstances, because even on a bad day, he's still God. He's still worthy. Your circumstance doesn't change his worth. It may change your opinion about him because you're not getting what you want, but it doesn't change the truth about him and that he is worthy of your praise. And he, Jesus in the temple said, you have to have prayer and you have to have worship. He protected these things and declared these things to be truth. In verse 47 of Luke, we saw that Jesus was teaching daily in the temple. And so we can see that the third priority and the third thing he protected in the house of the Lord 
was the teaching of the word. Teaching gives formation and foundation for faith. The Bible says that that faith comes from hearing and hearing comes by the word. It builds our faith. It forms our faith. It lays the foundation of faith. Without the word, listen, you can read the word on your own. You can. But I believe that God anoints different people to teach the word, to reveal things to the body of Christ that you would never have seen otherwise. This is true for people I listen to. There are things, I listen to pastors and preachers all the time, and I'm like, man, I've never seen that before. I've never even thought of that. Wow, that is powerful. And uh, there is power in coming into the house of the Lord to hear his word. There are things that you may never understand or ever know if you didn't come and hear the word taught. Teaching leads us to go down the right path. It guides the truth because it's really easy. And and some people, again, being a den of robbers, have intentionally shifted the word of the Lord to fit their own desires. But it is easy for us to take things out of context. It's easy for us to read things and just take one verse and make that the whole doctrine. When in reality, you have to read the whole scripture together and put it all together and understand the hermeneutic and, 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 and the history of that time and the people it was written to and the context. And there's a lot to go that can go into understanding the word of God. And, and it can be very difficult, but when there is teaching and when there is instruction in the Word, it makes it easier to understand the Word. But yet we come in, we sit, some of us fall asleep. I just like to think you're praying if your eyes are closed. Some of us don't even read the word at home to begin with. Some of us are thinking about what's in the crock pot for lunch and what buffet we're going to go to, if we're going to go to Golden Corral, if we're going to go to the Chinese buffet, or if we're going to go somewhere else. I shouldn't talk about buffets as we get ready to start this fast, but the reality of it is, is we don't give the attention to God's word that we should. And again, it allows us to learn things that we would never learn on our own. We need the teaching of the Word. I, need, I still need the teaching of the Word. I don't have it all figured out yet. I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. I study all the time. But there are still moments where I am listening to another pastor or preacher that they, they give something and they teach something that I'm like, wow, I've never even thought of that before. I still need it too. None of us are exempt from it. None of us have it all figured out. And you want to know something? That pastor and that preacher probably heard it for the first time when they were preparing to preach it themselves, whether it be in prayer, whether it be in a study note they read from some book or or somebody else they listened to that I've never even heard of preached it. That, That We all constantly need the instruction in the Word of God. The fourth thing that we need to have as a priority in the temple, in the house of God, we see again in Matthew's uh, account of this. In Matthew 21, 14, it says, And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. 
The fourth priority is the temple, the house of God, the people of God should be ministering to those in need. We should be ministering to those in need. You know, and we do different things through the church throughout the year. But when's the last time you as an individual saw somebody in need and helped them? When's the last time you, you saw somebody with a flat tire on the side of the road and you pulled over to help them change it? When's the last time you saw somebody really struggling to buy their groceries at the store? They're digging through trying to find pennies to just get that last little bit. When's the last time you just took care of the difference for them? You may not be able to do all of those things, but you might be surprised at how God could bless you if you stretched yourself in generosity. You might be surprised. I've seen some of the most blessed people I've ever seen in my life are also the most generous people. See, his temple is a place where people should come to be made whole through an encounter with Jesus. So it's not just about meeting physical needs, but it's about ministering to people who are in spiritual need as well. When we invite people to church, we are inviting them to have a spiritual need ministered to. When you share the gospel with, the, with your neighbor or whoever you, you come across with at a, at a job or, or wherever you may find yourself, when you do that, you are ministering to a spiritual need. You see, we think, oh, they're a good person. Their spiritual needs are probably met. If they do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, their spiritual needs are not met. And we have a responsibility as the body of Christ. Again, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not just a building and collective group effort. It is an individual effort as well. That we could invite people to church. That's easier than preaching the gospel to them yourself, although you are called to do that as an individual. Go into all the worlds and make go into all the world and make disciples is not a, a command for a specific group of people. It is a command for God's people as a whole. We should be making disciples everywhere we go. We have a responsibility as the temple of God, as individual temples and as a collective group, large four walls and a roof temple, to minister to the needs, both spiritual and physical, of the people around us. These are the, the, the four big priorities that we see Jesus protect in the temple. But something I notice in the scriptures, and this is what I'm going to leave you with today, is that when the priorities are right, the attack becomes heavy. Because, you see, Satan doesn't care about a church that's doing the wrong things. He doesn't care about people who are like the den of robbers. He wants that. He wants the robbers to come. He wants people to, to extort and exploit and to uh, rob the people of God and, and to take 
worship away from God as we see these robbers did. He wants that to happen. And when that's happening, he's going to leave it alone because it's just how he wants to see it. He doesn't want God to get the worship. He wants the worship for himself. And in this scripture, we see the Pharisees coming against Jesus. After he has purged the temple, after he has kicked everyone out, after he has set things right, while he is teaching in the temple, the Bible says that they sought out how they could destroy him, how they could destroy the work he was doing in the temple. And so whether it be you as an individual or us as a church, when we have our priorities straight and we're doing everything as God would will it to be, expect attacks to come. But here is the good news is that when they came to to launch an attack on them, the Bible tells us that they couldn't do anything because the people hung on his words. If you don't believe me, I'll just read it for you one more time. Verse 48, but they did not find anything they could do for all the people were hanging on his words. The way he'll attack is he will try to discredit the word of God. He will try to discredit the people of God. He will try to get you to look down upon the temple. He will try to get you to be bitter. He will try to get you to be angry. He will try to get you to turn against the church. He will try to get you to turn against your brother or sister in Christ. He will do everything he can. But the problem with this group of people, he couldn't do anything about it because those people were so tightly clinging to the word of Jesus, to the word of God, that they were so built on that foundation of his word and of his truth. We just sang it a little bit ago that when he is our firm foundation, when his teachings are the firm foundations, the winds and the storms may come, but the house will stand strong. But the, the, those who live according to other foundations to the truth of the world have like built their house on a sand and when those storms come it wipes it away. When a people of God, when a person of God is so built on the foundation of God's word and they cling to it so tightly, it is hard for an attack of the enemy to have success. Because hanging on to it doesn't mean just declaring it over and over, having catchy phrases on t-shirts. It means you live it out in your life. It is how it is the, the firm foundation, the directive of your life. You don't veer from it. You don't listen to any other word but his. That's, that's what they were doing. They said, we don't care what you have to say. We're, we're into what he's saying. They didn't even listen to the Pharisees. They didn't listen to the enemy because they were so focused on God's word and what Jesus had to say. And they took it and clung to it. And it was their life. It is so important for us to understand this. I'm going to close here, but I, I want to use this as a moment of instruction for the season of fasting and prayer that we're going into. We're going to take this time of fasting and prayer, and I want our focus to be on cleansing the temple. We're going to remove anything that does not give God praise in our life. 
we're, we're going to take time to set things in order. And it is through that time of prayer and fasting that we are opening ourselves up and saying, Lord, cleanse my temple. During this season, I'm pushing back the plate. I'm denying my flesh so that you can come in and build your spirit up on the inside of me. And I want to come out of this season hanging on to your word, prioritizing prayer, prioritizing the worship in the word, and ministering to those in need. And it, that, that's what I want us to come out of this season. That is the goal of all of this, coming out renewed and refreshed, more connected to Jesus than we were before. His spirit more alive in us than it was before. Because if we're going to wage war, we have to have our ducks in a row. And when you sign up to be a believer of Christ, so to speak, we're not, we're not, it's not a ticket for a cruise ship. It's a position on a battleship. And so we're, we're, we're heading into a season of probably greater spiritual warfare than we've ever seen. As the Word tells us, the closer we get to His return, the worse things are going to get. And if things are going to get worse, then we need to get better. And we need to have the right priorities in our life as we cleanse the temple. Will you just bow your head with me today?